Looking to the past for perspective about the future may not always prove to be a useful endeavor, but there are times when the past has provided a legacy worth living up to. And in celebration of Indigenous Peoples Day, we sit down with Haskell Indian Nations University's Dr. Dan Wildcat to speak about the legacies of Hiawatha and Haskell University and how they informed his vision of Hiawatha Hall. Within this conversation, we also explore the often overlooked intellectual history of Indigenous peoples. The Lawrence Talks podcast is brought to you thanks in part to our partners at the University of Kansas and Douglas County Casa. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Dan, thank you, uh, thank you again for for joining me today, and I, I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. And before we begin, could you actually start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Give us a, give our audience a sense of of who you are. Yes, Basan, Selagi, Zoyaha, Yuchiha, Muskoge, Shadane, Adane. Good afternoon, David. How are you? Um, my name is Dan Wildcat, and I'm a Yuchi member of the Muscogee Nation of Oklahoma. So glad to be with you for this discussion, a little chat today. Uh, I've been a faculty member here at Haskell Indian Nations University for about 35, going on 36 years. I'm, uh, I used to be able to say I was the only Wildcat that was a Jayhawk, but I can't say that anymore. My son received a degree from KU, as did my wife. But I got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree at KU, came to teach at Haskell after I kind of got burnt out on my Ph.D. program. And after about 10 years, someone kind of twisted my arm and talked me into going back and completing a Ph.D. uh, at University of Missouri, Kansas City. So I've got an interdisciplinary Ph.D. from the Block School, used to be the Block School of uh, Business and Public Administration. Now I think it's just called the the Block School of Management or something like that. They're always changing names. But anyway, I've been here at Haskell a long time. I came here 1974 when I got out of the service, uh, out of the Army, and have kind of made Lawrence, Kansas our home. Now, while our discussion today is going to focus primarily on your plans for Hiawatha Hall and the history of of the name Hiawatha itself, I'd like to briefly, and, and of course we won't be able to do any justice to, to this, uh, but I'd definitely like to have you speak a little bit about the history of Haskell and just what it has meant for the Lawrence community and the indigenous people of this nation and elsewhere. Well, Haskell has an incredible history, and it's very much in everyone's mind now since uh, the first American Indian, Indian Secretary of Interior, Deb Howland, has taken over that incredible uh, department and uh, one of the you know, early decision she made was uh, the decision to attempt to tell the sort of real history of the federal Indian boarding schools. I think a lot of this kind of precipitated by some of the things that have been happening in, happening in Canada with the First Nations people. And Deb Holland, of course, knows that uh, uh, the federal government ran, you know, uh, many uh, federal Indian boarding schools. And so I think um, 
Haskell's a part of that history. I mean, Haskell was one of the early off-reservation boarding schools. It's uh, the one that's been in continued existence longer than any other institution of Indian education in the United States. And so it has that history. You know, it has that history in 1884, opening its doors as the United States Indian Industrial Training School. And, um, you know, a school that was really motivated by Richard Henry Pratt's famous saying, you know, our job is to kill the Indian to save the man. And so um, boarding schools were really total institutions set up and dedicated to the complete erasure of children's identity as Cheyenne, Lakota, Seminole, Arapaho, uh, Passamaquoddy children. And um, I think it's, it speaks to the resilience of, of indigenous people that now we have Haskell and it has evolved into an institution that is struggling, struggling mightily to affirm our own intellectual traditions, our languages, our histories, and uh, our cultures. And it's it's really an incredible institution because I want people in Lawrence to be proud of Haskell because they have in their community an institution unlike any other in the world, dedicated to teaching American Indian, Alaska Native students from all federally recognized tribes. And, you know, really the kind of de facto national, or I like to say, because we are members of our own nations, the de facto international tribal college. And it's right here in Lawrence, Kansas. It's a treasure. And um, I think, you know, we're on the cusp of a period of sort of Letting the community know we're very, we very much want to be a positive part of this community. But Haskell's history is so rich. Um, you know, we were we were kind of on the vanguard in a lot of ways in Indian education. We we had a normal school, in other words, a school for preparing teachers before uh, in the 1890s. We had opened the doors to to a teacher program so that young natives could return home and and serve as teachers. And, uh, you know, and then later, you know, kind of as, as, you know, time progressed to the 20th century, started uh, post-secondary technical programs and uh, carpentry, auto mechanics, heating, air conditioning, and and, um, we had an electrical program for a while. So very much welding, welding programs, very much those kinds of jobs oriented programs, hands on jobs oriented programs. And then um, about the time I got here. So I got here in January of 86. That discussion was just starting about, well, maybe we need to make make the next step and move from a an associate or a two year kind of community college model to a baccalaureate granting institution. And that meant that we had to give up some of the vocational, well, all of our vocational trades programs, and those have been very successful. And, and so that was a difficult, that was a di- an example of a difficult choice, but the decision was made, hey, we could probably better serve our own peoples by creating a, a 
university where students could get bachelor's degrees. We hope potentially maybe some graduate degrees. And, you know, there's still opportunities for those more hands-on, maybe trade or technical-oriented programs to be done now by tribal community colleges. And there are about 35 now, 34, that exist right usually in close proximity to their reservations or on the reservations. And so we thought, let's let them handle those kinds of, you know, labor force programs. And let's focus on, you know, getting students prepared that might want to be a doctor, might want to be a, a get a PhD, might want to go to law school, uh, go to a professional school. So that's kind of the decision we made. And, um, you know, we're still just four baccalaureate programs, tribal business and management, an elementary education program, an indigenous and American Indian studies bachelor's degree, and an environmental science degree. But again, all of these programs embracing today our own cultures, our own intellectual traditions, and trying to really, you know, hold those up. Now, one thing that you and I share, and one of the reasons why I started Lawrence Talks was to fill a, a, a sort of gap um, or, or to sort of and also build a bridge between the universities and, and the community. Right. Even though I, I believe and I have seen that uh, University of Kansas is actually doing a better job of this. Generally speaking, colleges have not always done a good job of connecting with the communities that they are part of, at least in a physical sense. Right. That that physical connection is there, but that intellectual and that other aspect of being part of the community hasn't always been there. So I was wondering if you could also speak uh, speak about that thought and how and how you hope to mitigate that dynamic. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and I'll be honest, that's a great question, David. Thank you. And and you know, Haskell has suffered from that now. And you know, there are a couple of reasons. So the first reason is, I think um, sometimes, not always, but sometimes I don't think Haskell has done a very good job of communicating who we are and how we could be a very productive part of this community. And and in other words, I think Haskell ought to be something that is incredibly value added to those people that want to make uh, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, a, a destination place to learn more about John Brown, to learn more about the history of bleeding Kansas. Well, here you have school dedicated to the education of American Indians and Alaska Natives that's been in existence for over a century. And it's got this long history. And um, I, I think, so the first problem is we have to do a better job. I think I'm going to be self-critical of sort of reaching out to the community and let them know, hey, we're, we want to be a part of this community. And so that's, that's the first challenge. The second challenge is Haskell is a very unique place because we're a an institution I'm using bureaucracy not in a derogatory sense. You know, people are usually get mad at bureaucrats and they talk about bureaucratic entanglements and how slow bureaucracies are. But it's true. We are very much a part of this large federal government system. And I think sometimes that's intimidating to people. And I think sometimes 
they don't quite understand. Uh, maybe they're not sure in their mind how to interact with us, or you know. So is can I come on the Haskell campus? Is Haskell open, or is that just for you know native people? And all these kinds of questions that come up, and then some things that we that other universities do that maybe we can't do as easily. And so I think there's some uniqueness to Haskell that makes both sides have to really kind of work a little harder to understand each other. And I think that can be a challenge, that that kind of federal character of who we are. And then people in Lawrence kind of say, oh, well, that's over there. That's the Indian school. And, um, you know, we we again, our desire is to be valued and appreciated in the Lawrence community and have the community understand that, you know, our mission, our vision is all about serving the 570 some federal, federally recognized uh, incorporated Alaska Native villages and tribal nations in the contiguous 48 states and Alaska. So uh, again, it's 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 like we're in Lawrence, Kansas, and yet our footprint is very much a national 48-state Alaska footprint. By by charter, we cannot serve Native uh, Hawaiians or Pacific Islanders or uh, Puerto Ricans, but uh, we do often when we have federal grants and research programs in the summer. Uh, sometimes we can serve them that way. We can invite them to be partners in that respect. And part of, I think part of, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, my understanding of this, uh, but part of the the mission to, I guess, extending uh, your, your, the hands out of, of the, of uh, Haskell um, to the community is this new development with uh, the Hiawatha Hall. Yes, yes. Well, and and it's still a vision. It's not a reality yet. So right now, the Hiawatha Center for Justice is a virtual. It's a virtual space, kind of like you've created. It's a place to bring people together, bring their ideas. Uh, but you know, we've it's been a struggle to get anything through our own internal procedures during COVID. But um, I'm hopeful that. Our Board of Regents is going to have their first meeting in several years uh, since before COVID and um, going to have a meeting here in about a month. And this will be something that will be presented to them. And uh, I'm hopeful that they'll, you know, they'll like the idea. Uh, the Hiawatha Hall is such a beautiful historic building. It has a lot of potential. It needs a lot of work. And um I'm hopeful what, what I'm suggesting is one of the things that we should put in Hiawatha Hall, there could be other activities too, is the Hiawatha Center for Justice. And uh, yeah, and, and that kind of that kind of is part of my thinking about that reaching out to the broader community and nation too. Uh, because I think right now, what part of our lives isn't related to justice? I mean, you know, really, every decision we make has those kinds of implications, uh, and in in terms of how other people are treated and the consequences of our actions and our choices. So, I think 
the COVID crisis, uh, everything that's gone on, you know, Black Lives Matter and and then, you know, the things that we saw in Washington, D.C. last January. I mean, I think we really need a place where we can, um, as I like to say, not call people out, but call people in. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm so glad to be a part of your program, because I know that's kind of what you're doing, too. And and I I want the center, you know, um, to eventually have a home. And with any luck, maybe that'll be Hiawatha Hall. I'm, I'm hoping that our our board of regents will like that. And that. but that's not a done deal yet. It's still in that vision envisioning phase. And could you uh, speak a little bit to the uh, I guess because because Hiawatha that 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 name has a significant history, and I was uh, hoping that uh, if you you can kind of tell us a little bit about that too. The history of the tribes that are now known as the Iroquoian Confederacy. Um, uh, so we're we're going back now, you know, hundreds of years, but they had a period that was horrible of of warfare amongst their tribal nations. And Hiawatha's role is is often not recognized. Um, I can't say his name the way my Onondaga relatives would, but but, um, that's kind of an anglicized version. Hiawatha is important because Hiawatha had heard of the man as a peacemaker. And Hiawatha Onondaga and the peacemaker was Mohawk, and it was it was Hiawatha who sought out the peacemaker. Hey, we've got to do something. I've heard of you. We've got to bring peace to our our nations. And then they were joined by a woman, a very prominent woman among I want to say the Seneca and the three of them sort of really worked together to create the Iroquois Confederacy, or they would call themselves the Haudenosaunee, the people of the Longhouse. And I was thinking for a long time about this poor building, this beautiful building. We hadn't been in there now for about 20 years, and that's how long it's been since we've been able to go into the building. Uh, So it's just being cleaned up now. And by cleaned up, I mean, people had to go in with hazmat suits and, you know, the whole thing. You can't just walk in that building. It had broken windows, so all kinds of damage. But, you know, as I was recovering from a pretty serious medical crisis I had uh, in in February of, um, oh my gosh, 2020, I guess, everything, you know, I was just recuperating. And so George Floyd's murder, everyone watched that on TV. Uh, Black Lives Matters was kicking into gear. And then there was all of this crazy political rhetoric and, and stuff that was going on. And on top of that, the COVID pandemic. And so, you know, kind of taking some time off to recuperate, I'm, I'm watching all of this stuff. And I'm going like, oh, my gosh, this is a group would be a great time to honor Hiawatha. 
And maybe one of the things we could do is, you know, repurpose Hiawatha Hall as being the home of the Center for Justice. That's the idea. And, and that's what it is. And, and I've, I've, you know, talked about it to a lot of people. And I keep telling them, you know, it's still a vision at this point. We've created a kind of a virtual space for doing tips. I'm hoping, I'm hopeful, keeping my fingers crossed that, you know, the Hiawatha Center at some point might be Hiawatha Hall. If it, if it turns out that, that that doesn't turn out that way, um, you know, we'll have a virtual space and, and, and a kind of way to do things. But um, I think uh, I, I'm remain optimistic. But that's who Hiawatha was. And that's why I thought Hiawatha's for Center for Justice makes so much sense because it really honors that important person who helped bring peace to the warring tribes of, of that confederacy now uh, of the Iroquois. I think what, what's really interesting about Lawrence is that uh, it seems to be, or I guess many purport to be, informed by the legacy of John Brown. And I think it's interesting here in the, in the case of Hiawatha because you have another legacy to to make part of this conversation about about justice, and I think I think the the question of legacy is uh, is um, it can be important in some cases because it, it at least gives us a sense of what we need to live up to. Yeah, it does, and I think people are looking for that today. Yeah, I think people are looking for that today. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think because this this brings me back uh, to at least I mean. Whatever our our thoughts are about the you know the Renaissance and the the Enlightenment, one of the things that it was known for was looking backwards to the ancients for the values that I guess we that was that were lost, and and it seems I think uh, we are in a similar position or a similar sort of situation that well it seems like things right now are in a flux or kind of out of out of harmony. And maybe we too need to look back to the sort of legacies that we need to live up to. Yes, and John Brown and in mm-hmm. Hiawatha. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's I think that's a real good point, and I think that's why uh, right now um, I I think we should be cautiously optimistic that there's enough community level and grassroots level kinds of activities going on nationwide. It doesn't matter whether you're on a reservation, whether you're in the city, whether you're in a small rural community. I, I do think the thing that that I think is hard for us to wrap our, our mind around, a lot of the societal problems we face are deep systemic problems. We know that, okay? They are system problems. And so I, I think our impulses always want to, you know, change those big systems, but that's hard to do. And I think what I get the sense of right now we're, we're exploring is how can those of us that are working in a community in a certain place or a space figure out how to make those connections so that we're no longer just out there by ourselves, 
but we're connecting a whole bunch of people who are like-minded so that we can start to kind of advocate for some of that kind of, of big structural or institutional change we, we, we want. I, I think there's a real tendency sometimes for both sides, the people who are working on the big picture stuff, okay, in Washington, D.C., to not recognize the people that are on the ground in communities really working on food justice, housing justice, health justice, reforming criminal justice system, for them not to, to really maybe honor that as much as they should. And by the same we can get to a place in communities where we just want to write off you know, the people that are working in the big institutional settings. And I think our challenge is that the people who are working in D.C. and, and for big institutional structural change uh, and the people on the ground in Lawrence, Kansas, you know, in Chinook, Kansas, in Newton, Kansas, in little towns that are working on change, not get into the mode of, discounting the other and instead you know i'm hoping hiawatha center for justice you know that idea could be a place where we bring those kinds of uh of, of thought leaders and uh, together because i think that's that's really the 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 challenge is that to create these kinds of disconnected kind of of, of pockets of energy. And I think what we all realize is if we can pull those energies together in a very positive way, then we're more, more likely to be successful in uh, helping facilitate that change we want to see. And so one, one uh, I think one obvious sort of question that, that we should explore a little bit is, you know, as a center for justice, uh, is there sort of an operating idea of what justice looks like here? Or is it more, is is, 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 is I guess, a position open in the sense that we just, at the, at the very least, we want to in, uh, invite as many and, and include as many voices as possible. And maybe, maybe at the end, what we get is a, a closer idea of what justice will look like. I think just as, as kind of an operating principle, you know, and I've, we've got a, uh, a faculty advisory board that's helping now and kind of planning future programs, our, our justice forums uh, that we want to have. And, and uh, we've sent an invitation. So for, for Deb Holland, our, our secretary of interior, we've sent an invitation to her to come to Haskell Deering. Indigenous, so Indigenous Peoples Day falls on October 11th. And that whole week, we want to kind of plan some activities celebrating Indigenous people. And uh, we've invited Deb Holland to be a part of uh, one of our virtual forums on uh, the history of the Indian boarding schools. Now, again, she's very busy. It's probably a long shot that she will come. But so that was something we talked about as a group. And everyone thought, yeah, that's something that would really be good. So I, I guess... As far as a principle goes, I think the one thing that I that I've articulated and, and anyone who knows me knows how strongly I feel about this. I do think 
as indigenous peoples, we do have a sort of different take on justice than maybe uh, what you might find in in mainstream institutions. So uh, I know um, there are indigenous people who talk about uh, peacemaking as a way of bringing about justice. And um, uh, in other words, moving away from um, a kind of uh, punitive punishment model of, uh, well, we just find out who's, who's, who's guilty, who's responsible, and then let's punish them. Uh, uh, a penal model versus one that says, no, what we need to do is restore relationships because something's really out of balance. And justice is getting the term you hear a lot of young native people talk about is getting in right relationship with each other. So there you go. There's an example of something that comes out of our traditions that would be very different than what you might find, you know, if you were going to go to uh, seek justice in a, a courtroom in the United States. And so I think those are the kinds of things that are really valuable. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So I've made it very clear. I think one of the things that the the uh, this whole idea of the Hiawatha Center could do is hold up our own traditions as a way to maybe model different ways of solving very difficult problems. Yeah, and I I think when we talked a few weeks ago or last month, you also mentioned, I believe, how how uh, at least what I got from from our conversation was that justice was more maybe holistic. Yes, very much so. So it's 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 decidedly non-anthropocentric. It's decidedly that. And and I think that's that's one of the first things. So you know in I'll give you the most common example. And and I know with your work you'll be familiar with it. So when people talk about environmental justice or injustice, they're usually talking about adverse effects that that affect certain human communities. When we talk about environmental justice, often indigenous people using our own philosophical worldview, cultural traditions, we're including, well, no, we're considering the land, the air, the water, and those other than or more than human persons, plant and animal persons, that are part of those communities. And you think about that, that's a very different idea than what a lot of people are used to hearing. And so, but I think it's a very powerful idea. You know, it's a very, very powerful idea to think of what would happen if people left their houses today and left work and said, you know what, I'm going to quit living like the world is full of resources. And I'm going to live in a world of relatives. And the change that that implies is humongous. You know, you don't treat relatives like resources, at least not in my family. You won't get invited to come back and visit very often. Right. So it's those kinds of things that I think the Hiawatha, Hiawatha Center could really explore and hold up. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's it, uh, one of the things that I I've always always valued about, or one of the and one of the reasons why I went into philosophy, at least w- what I thought about it at the time, was that it introduces you to uh, various modes of thinking about a singular issue, and it's not always it hasn't always been perfect about including all of these those perspectives, but I, I at least within my own approach to it it was always important to be as open-minded and uh, uh, have this this uh, impulse to explore as many directions or ways of thinking about a particular issue. And I think that's no more important uh, when thinking about uh, justice. It it, it just, yeah, it just seems, it just seems kind of uh, obvious to me that when you're thinking about how should our society be ordered? How should we uh, come into harmony with one another? You want to involve as many sort of voices as possible. I think that's a good point. So I think, you know, this is what we need right now. And, you know, um, we need to create spaces like, again, where I say, let's call people in. Let's don't call people out. And and I think that's exactly, you know, what I'm hoping we can create here at Haskell. And with, uh, with that, Dan, uh, is there kind of our, our final takeaway? Um, what do you hope to uh, at least, because uh, again, I, I want to keep having more discussions and, and, uh, and really there, there's, there's so many, there's so much to, to explore between, uh, between us. And, um, but here, I, I, what do you hope that uh, our audience takes away from, from this conversation today? Well, I, I hope they'll take away the fact that, you know, uh, let's let's get let's get through this, you know, this covid crisis. Let's let's try to get on top of that. And hopefully, you know, sometime in the not too distant future, you know, we can we can get together and, and we can start really having you know, these um, face-to-face meetings and, and make, build relationships as I, I love this concept. And, and my students have really taught me about this is they always talk about, well, we, we want to be in right relation, building right relationships. And I'm going like, yes, I, I get it. That's, that is what it's about. And so I'm hoping that you know, if we can just all pull together and 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 you know, people take advantage of of you know the vaccine opportunities and everything, and everyone do their best to be to be safe. Um, I'm I'm hoping that we can have some face to face meetings, and I'm really looking forward to that because I think it's been. Uh, uh, too long since we've had we've we've sort of hosted the ha- the Lawrence community at Haskell, and so we we did do in the fall of nineteen. So this is pre COVID. We did a day at the U Open House, um, uh, and we invited people to come and sit in a class, pick a class, and come take a Haskell class for a morning. And we had such a great reaction to that, David. People came we had about 250 people that came out and 
people have asked, well, are you going to do that again? Are you going to do that again? And, and uh, we had hoped to do something this fall. But again, we're dealing with uh, uh, this Delta variant and, and uh, we're, we're being very cautious cautious at Haskell. But my takeaway is I want everyone to know that uh, Haskell wants very much to get in right relationship with all the people in this community and and uh, so we can help each other. Love that, Dan. And I, I uh, look forward to uh, not just having these ongoing conversations with you, but also uh, working with you in Haskell and, and, and uh, the, the Hiawatha Center for Justice. Um, I thank you again for joining me for this conversation, and I look forward to, uh, to having more. Yeah. Okay, David, sounds like a plan. Thank you.